Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes. I'm joined by Terry Fakes for Friday edition of our Revelation Questions podcast. We had a little technical difficulty last week, and so our Revelation question came out on Monday. Great way to start your week, talking about the tribulation. And uh, we're back at a normal time on our Friday uh, questions, our after-party podcast for your lessons. I heard you guys had a little bit of apocalyptic weather last night when you were teaching this lesson on the apocalypse. That is exactly right. It it was, in all seriousness, not a good night for the state of Oklahoma with maybe 15 or more tornadoes in the state. But we had right here at the church, we had uh, pretty torrential rain. We had some hail, nothing big enough to do significant damage. I know there are places that did, but it felt like, and, and the room in which we're doing has a metal roof. I mean, it's a building. It's not like a metal building, but the roof is a metal roof. And so when it hails, even in the room, you can tell it's hailing. And so we're ta- here we are talking about the Battle of Armageddon, and it sounds like it's happening outside. So yeah. I felt like the sound effects uh, really added a lot to the lesson. Yeah, what a great uh, experiential tie-in. You know, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. Of course, we hate it when severe weather happens in Oklahoma, and I know there was some last night. But it, it makes you remember that these things are not just metaphorical uh, instances of destruction. Point. Now, there, we as we've talked about, there's ways of talking about destruction metaphorically. But at the end of the day, almost every view of Revelation agrees that there will be physical destruction in the judgment. And uh, there certainly right. has been in the past. And even weather is just a small reminder of the forces at work in the destruction of kingdoms and the temple the universe, depending on how you read Revelation, the levels of severity uh, can range pretty widely. But it, it's it's always interesting to me that weather is a is a fundamental part of apocalyptic language when you have the language of destruction, yes. whether it's recapping what happened in Egypt, looking at what happened when the temple was destroyed, looking ahead to what's going to happen. Weather is always an interesting component of that language. Indeed. You know, the power... Every now and then we get a glimpse of the power of, quote, nature, the power of weather, whether it be a flood or it be a tornado or hurricanes in other parts of the world. And you think about as God wields this power in the book of Revelation. I mean, we are, you know, we tremble in the face of this weather and it serves the purposes of God. There's a certain sense in which using the power of weather in apocalyptic books like this really brings into focus how awesome God's power really is. When you say mm-hmm. King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and you think in charge of the unbelievable forces in the universe, it becomes very real to us. Well, give us, as usual, give us a quick recap of the lesson last night before we dive into these questions. Well, chapter 19 is at the end of the tribulation. You have the second coming of Jesus Christ. It starts with uh, the wedding, an announcement of the wedding of the Lamb, which connects Jesus' ministry on earth, talking about his bride, the church, and coming, you know, there are many rooms in my father's house, and I will come back for you. It completes the story in his second coming of what he began in the first coming. And so we have the marriage of the lamb. And then as a kind of a grotesque counterpart, there's a an announcement that as the Antichrist brings together all the kings of the earth uh, at Megiddo, at Armageddon, the hill of Megiddo, Jezreel Valley, 
that as he brings together all those armies, there's an announcement that there's going to be a great supper for the birds of the air, and they will feast on the fallen in this battle. And so you see this counterpoint between the wedding supper of the lamb and the feast on the bodies of those who are rebelling against God. Mm. And then, of course, you have the big battle that wasn't, the Battle of Armageddon, where everything comes together and God wins. And that's kind of it. You know, Jesus slays them with the word that comes from his mouth and the Antichrist and false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire and Satan is bound and cast into the abyss. So uh, we finished that up and we finished our our four views of the tribulation and where they all come together in a sense and, and all, of course, agreeing on the second coming of Christ. So we basically finished the tribulation with the victory, the long-awaited, hoped-for, prayed-for victory of Christ over his enemies. So that was chapter 19. We had some good questions in class, and we had a couple of questions that I just waited for us to discuss, because I kind of want you to weigh in particularly on this first question. Well, we do have two great questions uh, to discuss, and I'm glad that you save these where we could discuss them a little bit more than you can do in class. The first one is uh, really an up-to-date, interesting question. You couldn't have asked this question even 40 or 50 years ago, much less in the first century. Could AI be the Antichrist? What do you think on that? I love this question. This is a sincere question. I talked to the individual that asked it afterwards, and it was just really a, a legitimate question. Is So when we say AI, I think it's in the news enough now that everybody, it's come to everyone's attention. The idea of what's called artificial intelligence, and this is software that has the computing power to be very fast and has the access to all the data of the world through the internet. And so you put those two things together and you get machine code, machine learning that very much uh, looks like intelligence, meaning it pulls together data and in ways that we don't have the capacity to do. So you have artificial intelligence. One of the big questions right now about artificial intelligence, and I know you've written on this, Cole, and you've studied it quite a bit, is will artificial intelligence eclipse humanity and will artificial intelligence become a master rather than a fairly useful servant. And I think if you've been watching the news recently, you've seen Elon Musk and a number of entrepreneurs say, hey, we need to call a timeout and figure out how we're going to use this. So this question, which probably even 10 years ago, would have been relegated to the realm of science fiction. Uh, A science fiction movie is now something that one could seriously consider. So... Uh, AI, whether or not it could be the Antichrist, has really come into the fore of what will this, quote, artificial intelligence, what could it be? And so let me pause for just a second and ask you, is this question even legitimate in the sense that can you imagine artificial intelligence controlling significant portions of our lives? What do you think about that, Cole? Well, this is a really good question, and and there's probably several helpful angles to come at this answer. We've already recorded this. It hasn't come out yet. This is kind of the fun of doing these podcasts. We've already recorded the third part of the conversation with Ben Williams on the return of the God hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And in that conversation, we talk about 
AI a little bit and uh, where we think maybe the conversation between faith and science may be going in the area of AI. And one of the interesting things we, we were talking about, and you'll appreciate this, is you know the, the biggest question of AI now was posed in Isaac Asimov's book, iRobot. 60 uh -huh. years ago, 60 some odd years ago. And in the movie, if you haven't read the book, there's a great Will Smith movie, I Robot, exactly. where you do you do wrestle with this issue of control and certainly the question of whether human beings are doing what's in their own best interest. If you let AI loose, people have been talking about this now with climate change. Uh, it wasn't climate change as much in iRobot uh, as it was just other moral concerns, but Nonetheless, people have posed this exact same question. If you let AI loose and you tell it to stop climate change, would it figure out a way to just kill off all of humanity? Because right. humanity is the problem with climate change. Right. Now, th this, this brings up, and I, and I bring that up to say this basically, this brings up a really interesting wrinkle in the conversations about AI. Climate change, whether you believe anything about climate change or not, if you just take the premises that are used in the conversations about climate change, the problem with climate change is the, there's a destruction of the creation, first of all, usually from a group of people that I find it difficult to find any basis for care for the climate. I mean, mm -hmm. care for the climate is a Christian concern in certain areas because God has created it. It is good. We're supposed to steward it. If you're an atheist or a secular person, I don't understand why you have a deep desire to uh, preserve the climate, except for the reason of what will it be like in the future for our children and grandchildren? What will the world of tomorrow be like? Right. The, the interesting thing is if a, a machine wants to basically take climate, preserving the climate as its top priority, kills off the human race because of it, what would it then be preserving the climate for? Right. It's essentially for its own sake. And this is where the conversations about AI get really interesting is how complex a moral reasoning will AI have? And, and what is our responsibility in coding in, guiding, shepherding, uh, moral reasoning and moral frameworks into AI? So if chat GPT, for example, one of the things that people have been complaining about is chat GPT, if you ask it certain things, it won't say what it would glean from the internet, it says what programmers have told it to say based on certain mm -hmm. ideological bents. Uh, so, for example, right. we were playing around with this the other night. If you ask it, who's going to win the NBA finals? It says, you know, as an AI machine, I am not, uh, you know, able to predict the future. Well, well, actually, that's 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 specifically what AI should be able to do is make a reason prediction based on the data. What's happened data, is you yeah. now have a programmer who's come and said, don't do this because there could be some kind of liability or, you know, whatever right. because of it. Right. Those questions are are wrapped up in what the future of AI is going to be. That's what Musk and these people that signed this six month pause have in mind is what's the difference between can and should? What's the difference between uh, what we can have AI do on its own through machine learning and where we need mm -hmm. to come in and actually place some rules and ethics and boundaries in embedded in the very nature of AI itself. And this has bearing on this Antichrist question. Mm -hmm. What is AI going to be free to do and not do? How much will it influence humans and, and what specific... Uh, set of truths will it be operating under?
exactly. Now, I don't, I'm not really partial to uh, some of the assumptions that I think are in this question. One, for instance, the Antichrist, depending on what you, depending on how you read Revelation, you have certain things that you think are going to be a part of what the Antichrist is. Will it be a person? Will it be a force? Will it just be the ongoing opposition to Christ and the deception of the nations? So depending on how you answer that, you could come up with some plausible ways that AI could maybe play a role in this. And I'll let you get into some of those. But uh, right off the bat, I do think the whole deception of people, the way our lives Mm -hmm. are uh, increasingly being guided by algorithms, the whole question of what embedded ethical systems, beliefs, and uh, frameworks for how the universe is construed are going to be put into AI. Those are all live questions when we start discussing AI and and the book of Revelation. I think you hit the nail on the head. Here's how I will answer that question. I don't see an artificially intelligent entity program, uh, quantum computer or whatever, uh, as being the Antichrist in any in any particular sense. Let's just take a futurist view and you believe an Antichrist is going to be an individual running a very powerful government empire, whatever. I don't see uh, this, and this is opinion, but I don't see the text lending itself well to AI being that. But here's why I think that's a serious question. Whoever can encode the values and attitudes into the AI will have the ability to control, oppress, enslave a tremendous portion of uh, humanity. When you take facial recognition software, the ability to draw a bunch of data together, this is a totalitarian leader's dream come true, is to say, look, we're going to have an AI that controls our banking system. It controls everything. And I'm going to encode the morals, the values, the good. In other words, I'm going to tell the AI who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. AI will be an incredibly powerful tool to either liberate humanity, but more likely, in my view, with fallen humanity, to dominate humanity. I could see some AI entity being one of the huge tools of oppression of the Antichrist. So I I really took this question seriously in that. I could see AI becoming a tool that was uh, an effective means of persecution and oppression. The, I agree. The mark I, of I, the beast, you know, yeah. the idea of the mark of the beast, whatever you think about that, I can see some kind of an AI entity enforcing that. Definitely. It will make things easier for dictators, people that mm-hmm. want to to control people. It's also a great way to control information. You can curate and control information. A lot of this is already happening in China. If you look at what China is doing, right. they're not using advanced AI, but they are using technology to make it easier to keep people uh, in the dark on certain things, keep people in their homes even during COVID. So what you saw during COVID in China and uh, unfortunately in some other places was the ability of technology to give the state mm-hmm. a superhuman ability to monitor and enforce certain things among people. I I think that uh, use of AI, again, towards the negative, I think there will be a lot of positive uses of AI and convenience kinds of things in our life. I don't know that it'll make our lives that much better, but it will certainly make things more convenient. But I, I do think one of the things that's kind of interesting about AI is it has the possibility of really warping 
reality uh, based yeah. on what it shows and doesn't show about the world. So, for example, you could keep a good portion of the world in the dark on anything that exists outside of them through the use of AI. You could also, mm -hmm. and I hate to make predictions like this, but I do think maybe this will be used in the future. For people who are enemies of the state, it would be a very easy way to put your opponents in jail. If you think about all the deep fake things that are going on right. right now, there's a song out this week, you know, that claims to be by Drake and The Weeknd. Sounds exactly like them, but neither one of them had anything to do with it. It's a person who wrote it and modeled the lyrics on an AI program, just listening to and modeling their voices over and over and over again. Well, you would think, if, unless somebody told you otherwise, you would think that they had recorded this song. Same thing is true with a lot of videos and things that people can make. Of mm -hmm. course, people are all up in arms about different pictures of, you know, Trump getting arrested and all this kind of thing. You can portray a lot of right. very believable things to a lot of people. And it's going to be very hard to tell what's true and what's not true. You could use that to put people in prison if you wanted to by presenting evidence. You could use that to get people to believe a lie. That's probably where I see the closest parallel to the uh antichrist i too don't right. i pers personally don't think that there will be one antichrist that's just not the way i read revelation but mm -hmm. in the series of antichrists that have been in the past and will be in the future one of the one of the big characteristics is deception he's going to deceive the nations there's going to be a deception of people across the world ai makes it very easy to deceive people in mass mm -hmm. numbers and so that would be something I would say is a corollary to the Antichrist question is even if it's not a particular Antichrist in the future, there are going to be easy ways to deceive people using AI. And that's something that we've got to be on the lookout for. Yeah. And a final word on that is I do think that if you read the book of Revelation, you, you realize how quickly things are going to change, how quickly some of these things seem to come about. And in times past, it was hard to see a society moving that quickly. I don't think anybody in America now has any doubts that society can move very quickly, that public opinion can be overwhelmingly one way. In a few short years, it can move to another direction. And so I do think that the idea of AI makes the rapidity of the changes in Revelation much more realistic to us now. So big, great question, and honestly, a uh, very timely question with AI. Definitely. Uh, the, se the second question is a, is a question that has been around in the history of the church for a very long time. People have been anticipating this and wondering, is the Battle of Armageddon a literal battle? Are there going to be armies? Is it going to take place on Earth? Are there going to be real people fighting? Are we going to fight? We had a question about this. Are we going to be having to take up arms in the Battle of Armageddon on behalf of God's cause? What do you think that battle will be like? That's a great question. This is probably one of the starkest divides between the symbolic point of view and the futurist point of view. The futurist point of view, holding to that all this is going to happen in a seven-year period in the future, really holds to a fundamental idea of Taking things very literally in the book of Revelation, unless you must take it symbolically. So, for example, uh, when you get an Antichrist, it takes, futures tend to take it literally and say, well, this is probably going to be a person who's going to be a ruler. But when you say it's a beast with seven heads and ten horns, they'd say, well, 
obviously you must take that. It's not going to be someone who looks like a beast. That's kind of silly, but the idea is take it literally unless you must take it symbolically. The symbolic view flips that around and says this is apocalyptic literature. It's all about symbols and images. So you should take everything symbolically unless you must take it literally. And so the Battle of Armageddon is the great dividing line between those who want to take it in a very literal sense versus symbolic sense. So futurists of all stripes see this as a literal battle. I'll give you an example. John MacArthur, for for example, who's a futurist, sees this as the armies of the world gathering in the land of Israel, attacking uh, Israel as the remnant of God's people. And, and obviously, there are going to be a lot of Christians there after the tribulation. He sees that there will be millions of people dead in this battle along a 200-mile front, pulling this out of Revelation chapter 14. So puts these clues together and sees literally, there will literally the birds will feast, the, the vultures will have millions of dead bodies. And so does see this very much as a physical battle. Symbolic, on the flip side, couldn't see it any more differently. And that is that the place is symbolic of great battles, of people attacking God, people. The battle itself doesn't have much detail because fundamentally this is God overcoming through the truth of the gospel every kingdom that was allied against him ever. And so it just comes to this crescendo at that time. So a symbolic view would say it's completely missing the point. Symbolic people would go back all the way, for example, to Ezekiel 39 and prophecies about a great battle against Gog, you know, the king of Tubal and Meshech, and God will bring them together. They see it more as connecting prophecy and it coming true in a cosmic spiritual sense. So I just try to outline how far apart the two parties are. Uh, on this issue. I mean, they fundamentally agree God wins, Christ comes. It's it's not a matter of orthodoxy or not being an orthodox Christian. It's a matter of taking it very, very literally with millions of dead bodies or taking it very, very much a matter of image of God fulfilling his prophecy of destroying the enemies of his people. Mm-hmm. So uh, that I just think that highlights the a stark difference in the two views. What would you add to that? I don't don't have anything to add to that. I think that's a great overview of the matter. You see a lot of this. This is kind of the one of the futurist dispensational points that there's there are certain numbers that are going to need to be there for the armies. And every now and then in history, you see somebody say, oh, China has a one million man army now. Well, that looks a lot like what's supposed to happen with the kings of the east and the west and the north and the south and all of this throughout Ezekiel and throughout uh, the end of Revelation, uh, troop troop numbers, movements, rivers, all of that uh, certainly lend themselves to a literal interpretation, but that's not the way that probably the majority of people throughout Christian history have read it. So it's a it's a thorny issue, like you said. This is one of the big dividing lines. This in the millennium, I think, are probably the two biggest dividing yes, lines, which we'll get to next week. Uh, over how you read the book, you it, it really right. is. I wouldn't say impossible, but it's very difficult to reconcile these by saying, I I think both are right here. These are the ones where you have to say, well, it's probably going to be one or the other in terms of the Battle of Armageddon, when the millennium takes place, and if it's a literal thousand years. Those are, towards the end of the book, the big divisive issues. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the only advice I would have to those who see it as a literal battle, and I'm very comfortable if they do, is 
don't miss the forest for the trees. It's easy to get caught up in, if this is a literal battle, then what Iran is doing today in nuclear arms might be a hint that it's about to happen, or what Russia is doing, or the fact that China is now brokering deals amongst the Muslims. And, and you can say, okay, I, I can plot the beginnings of this physical battle. And I, I'm not going to try and say to you, okay, that's not true. You shouldn't think about it that way. The only advice I would give you is let's not let current events and a physical battle overshadow the bigger point here. And that is God and his people are victorious. He fights our battles for us. And uh, no matter what happens in our circumstances, Satan's is doomed and the systems of this world are doomed. So I would simply say, don't get too wrapped up in the details to miss the major point uh, of what's going on. If you, if you see it that way. Yeah, that's a, that's a great reminder that, you know, this book is supposed to be encouraging to Christians who are suffering. And the plumb line that runs through the book of revelation is God is going to preserve his people. He is going to reward those who endure to the end, those who conquer and even in something like a final battle, we have to remember that this that's what this book was written for, is to remind us that God is in control. He is a mm-hmm. provider. His his promises are going to come true in the end. And uh, even when things look the darkest, that is going to be true. And you can cling to that. And that's one of the great hopes of Revelation. I think it's one of the reasons the Revelation was given to us mm-hmm. by God. The revelation of Jesus to his people was to remind us that there are going to be some very difficult times and there are going to be some very dark times in uh, the world, but we know how it ends. Exactly. You know, one of the biggest things I get out of the Battle of Armageddon is the image of Jesus that is portrayed. Mm-hmm. You see this beautiful image in the Gospels of fulfilling the prophecies of the suffering servant, the one who bore our stripes that we might be healed. And now in chapter 19, you see King of Kings and Lord of Lords riding with the uh, multitudes of heaven behind him. You see the, the prophecy of the Messiah as a suffering servant and the Messiah as the conquering king come together in a way that none of us would have predicted ahead of time. And so I think that vision of Jesus is one that's really healthy for us to hold in our mind. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.